Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. Today's episode was inspired by a question I get asked often, which is how to feel your feelings. It's actually a great extension of the conversation Jenna and I had last episode around connection. As we explored last week, to connect with another really begins with connecting with ourself first, our own feelings. So today's episode, we will begin to explore what feelings are, why we have them, why so many of us don't feel our feelings, and of course, how to begin to do so. Our feelings are evolutionarily designed to help us safely navigate the environment around us. They are actually short-lived physiological or body-based sensations that give us information about our current moment. It gives us two main forms of information. The first being, and the most important being, whether or not we're safe in the present moment. The second is whether or not we might have a need that's active for us or that is unmet in that current moment as well. Because safety is so incredibly important in the present moment, our feelings are based in the now, meaning they often lack long-term or consequential thinking. We're really only concerned with what's happening and how we can remain safe in this moment. Our feelings come from a very quick interpretation of the situation. We need to interpret what's happening quickly so we can quickly determine what to do next, especially if we decide that we are unsafe in that present moment. To make those quick interpretations, our brain actually relies on similar past experiences. It almost uses that as a roadmap to understand what's happening now. And because of that, oftentimes they're not objective. They're not actually related to what's really happening around us. Our feelings simply are messages that register in our body, again, giving us information about the safety of our current environment. As physiological or body events, our feelings or emotions last about 90 seconds. Our body actually wants to return back to homeostasis or balance. Whenever we encounter stress or have an emotion, our body shifts into fight or flight mode. We release cortisol and many other hormones until the perceived stress has ended. At that time, our body shifts back from fight or flight into a state of rest and digestion. The cortisol and the other hormones dissipate in our bloodstream and we're back in a peaceful state. Many of us don't have that relationship, however, with our feelings or emotions because many of us don't allow our feelings to just live in our bodies. What we do then is we bring them up to our mind and we live them on by telling ourselves a story, by reliving the event itself. When we're continuing to think those stressful or emotional thoughts, we continue to send those signals of stress, keeping our body activated in that fight or flight response. Our thoughts can also color the interpretation of an event. Here's a common example. Say you're in a room and the door opens abruptly, startling you. Your heart rate might quicken. Internally, your body might be releasing cortisol. You likely will turn around to assess the situation, again, to see whether you're safe or not. If the person coming through the door is someone you know, say like your partner or your best friend, chances are you might assess the situation as a safe one. You know that you're okay to continue on in that moment. If that's the case, your body will respond accordingly. It'll shift you back from that fight or flight into that calm state to see what is going to happen next. This, of course, would be different if when you see the person coming in and instead of assessing safety, 
you might think that the person is upset with you, and that's why the door opened abruptly. In that case, you probably aren't going to feel safe in your body. You'll probably continue to think stressful thoughts and continue to feel that stress in that same moment. A big factor in whether or not you'll assess safety or a lack of safety in that moment, like I mentioned earlier, are your past experiences. All of our relationships with our feelings begin in childhood, where we're taught or modeled how to navigate them, meaning how to feel our feelings or to not, and then what to do about them, how to keep ourselves safe when we're having them in the world. We carry those same patterns, those that same relationship with our feelings well beyond that childhood environment into our adulthood, often relying on the same tools in that moment that we did in childhood, often assigning the same meanings or the same interpretations of events that we did in childhood. Infancy is such a critical time because as a human infant, we are completely dependent on someone else to take care of us. We can't keep ourselves safe. We can't meet our needs on our own. We need a present caregiver or parent figure to show up and to help us regulate. What we need is an attuned person. Attunement is the ability to sense what someone else is experiencing or going through. In childhood, this looks like a parent approaching a distressed infant who's crying out, who needs to now attempt to identify what might be wrong with the infant, what need might be happening. Is the child hungry and needs to be fed? Is the child tired and needs some rest? Is the child sad and needs some comfort? It truly takes an attuned caregiver to A, sense the distress in the child, even become aware that there is someone crying out for help, and then B, begin to have some awareness when a child can't communicate with that parent figure around what is going on. This can only happen if the parent themselves is open, is receptive, is able to sense those cues in another being. And that ability is directly connected to the nervous system state of activation of that parent or caregiver. When a parent is in fight or flight, they cannot focus on anyone or anything outside of themselves. They can't be attuned to an infant or anyone else around them. The parent has to be in that calm state of rest and digest to even be able to receive those cues of their crying infant. So really simply, it is the parent figure's ability to identify and regulate their own stress that will directly impact their level of attunement or connection to their child when they're in a state of need. The reality for most of us is we were not raised by parent figures who knew how to regulate their own emotions because they themselves weren't taught by the parent figures who raised them. If a parent doesn't know how to regulate their own emotions, that will directly impact how present they are to us, how attuned they even can be to be connected to what could be happening. If we didn't have an attuned parent or someone who could become attuned, we're often left feeling overwhelmed and alone in our own feelings. Of no fault of that parent because quite simply, they aren't in a state of safety to be able to connect with us. When our parent figures weren't taught how to regulate their own emotions, it also impacts what they model to us in terms of how they navigate their emotions. What do they do when they're angry, when they're sad? 
if a parent is explosive with their feelings or reactive, that can result in us feeling very overwhelmed by their feelings. On the other side of the spectrum, if a parent is shut down or is disconnected from their feelings and we never see them express any emotion, that could leave us similarly feeling really alone in our emotional world completely. Both of these experiences leave us as children shutting down, overreacting, or simply not knowing how to feel safely our own feelings. When I was younger, there was a lot of health concerns happening in my family, a lot of stress. In that emotionally overwhelming state, my parents were not able to be fully connected with me because their nervous system was in a state of fight or flight. That left me feeling really alone and really overwhelmed. And what I did is I disconnected. I separated myself from the feelings that live in my body, and I left, as I call it, on my spaceship. Seeing the constant stress in my household, I also learned how to fly under the radar, how not to add stress to the already overwhelming environment. I focused on achievement because that was celebrated in my household. And anytime I had an issue or a stress of my own, instead of sharing it, I squashed it down. I kept it inside. I heard very often from family members that, quote unquote, nothing bothers Nicole. And in reality, a lot was bothering me inside, though in an attempt to keep myself as safe as possible and to decrease the overwhelm that was already present in my home, I determined it was actually safer to keep those feelings inside and to appear that nothing actually did bother me, when in reality there was a whole emotional world happening inside. So many of us are taught directly or indirectly which emotions or feelings are acceptable and which are unacceptable. Some of us in childhood might have been told, boys don't cry or to stop being dramatic, maybe even stop making me feel guilty. All of these are messages around which emotions are not acceptable. Chances are if we hear that message over time, we will probably begin to suppress or not to express those emotions in that environment or in that relationship. These are direct messages. Messages are also sent indirectly. When it's not necessarily what people are saying or not saying around us, it's what are they doing? And if, like I shared earlier, if you're in a household and you're not seeing sadness expressed or you're not seeing anger expressed, even if no one directly said, don't be sad or angry, the message is still loud and clear. It's strong. Those feelings are unacceptable in this environment and chances are you won't end up feeling them yourself. As children, we're so much more impacted by what is done around us, by what we see and by what we experience than what we're told to do. It's that old adage or saying, right? Do as I say, not as I do. In reality, it's what we're doing or what we're witnessing being done around us, especially around emotions or feelings that will be the most impactful. So how do we begin to feel our feelings? The first step is actually a journey for many of us. And it begins with reconnecting with our physical body, where those feelings and emotions live. Learning how to step off of our spaceship and become connected to how our body feels, what sensations are present, that will help give us clues into what's going on for us emotionally. Particularly important for those of us who are like me, living on a spaceship, completely disconnected from our body. If we're not in our bodies, 
we're not going to be able to be attuned to even ourselves, to know what's going on, to even have any awareness that we might be feeling anything or to have any idea of then what to do, how to release that feeling. That's what we're talking about when we're exploring feeling our feelings. It's being present with them, letting them be as they are. And eventually, like we talked about earlier with that 90 second rule, letting them release and go away as they want to. Ways to reconnect or to rebuild a relationship with our body are to learn how to be fully present in our body. And we can do that a couple different ways. One really common way is learn how to pay attention to the breath, the breath that's moving through your body every moment of every day. Instead of being in your thinking mind or paying attention to your thoughts, turning, as I say, that spotlight of attention to the act of breathing that's happening already will bring your full attention back into that body so you can begin to register what sensations might be present. Another really helpful practice, use your senses. Is there anything in your environment that you can see, that you can touch? Is there a taste in your mouth? Are you hearing anything? Anytime we're in our body, we are able to receive the sensations that are happening through our senses. Teaching ourselves then to tune in to what we're sensing will bring our focus back to our body. Another really helpful practice is learning how to ground in your body. A great way to do that is really focusing your attention now on your feet, whether you're sitting or you're standing, and I'm sitting in a chair here speaking to you, really feeling the the full impact of your feet, your soles, your toes on the floor beneath you. Again, refocusing your attention, maybe from your thoughts, down to how it feels to be really grounded in your feet, really present upon the earth. That action, that shifting of attention will help bring your focus back into your body. Noticing then each and every time your mind attempts to distract, if you tend to then think a story about what you're noticing in your body, maybe even rehash what you imagine that feeling or sensation came from. I'm feeling stress in my neck. Oh, that's making me think of that annoying thing my partner said this morning. So now instead of just focusing on the tension in my neck, I might be back in my thinking mind. Notice, witness. Witness when you're continuing to live your emotions on or your feelings on because of the thoughts that you're thinking. And then make that choice to redirect your attention back to your breath, back to your senses, back to your feet firmly grounded upon the earth. As you're learning to be present with the sensations in your body, notice if you begin to become critical or pass judgment in what you're noticing. An important step here is to learn how to be objective, just witness, maybe even just verbalize what it is that you're feeling. I feel tension in my neck. I feel tightness in my chest. I feel a lump in my throat. Those are objective statements, not criticizing. Oh, I feel tension in my back and I shouldn't feel that way. There's many ways that we criticize and we judge what we're feeling in our bodies. The more we do that, the less likely we're going to want to spend time exploring. This is a journey. Those of us who are disconnected from our body have to make the daily steps to reconnect. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not a light switch, like I say. And the best time to practice is not when we're in an overwhelming feeling. 
It's in moments where things are relatively calm, giving us the practice so that as our emotions begin to stir up, as our heart rate begins to quicken, as I begin to go down that path of overwhelm like I once did, I might begin to be able to use this presence and grounding in the body to return myself to safety. If we only try to practice in those moments, we're going to set up another environment of overwhelm because chances are we're not going to either remember to do this or we're not going to be able to do this because those old patterns are hardwired into our brain and into our nervous system, which is why I began this step by acknowledging it is a journey. In so many ways, I'm still learning how to fully be reconnected with my body and its sensations. This step will then lead us into the step, second step of this journey, which is helping your body return to safety, really witnessing that emotions are energies, that they do map onto sensations in our body, and that we can actually begin to make choices to release them. This step will take a little bit of curiosity or exploration. As you begin to tune into maybe the agitated energy that you notice happens when you feel stressed or when you feel angry, at first, you might not know what to do or how to release that energy. It might take taking a walk, doing something active and seeing how that energy shifts at the end of it. Or you might want to take a bath or do something more sedentary or more still. What helps you release your energy or your emotions and what helps me release my energy or emotions might be very different. This is where we individually begin to explore then how can I get this energy, whatever it might be for me, up and out of my body. Again, remembering to keep the focus in the body. The second we start to spin those stories, the second we keep ourselves stuck in those feelings. The second step is another journey. I'm still very much learning how to tend to different emotions in myself. What I do when I feel sad might look different than what you do when you feel sad. There are moments where my energy is agitated, and for me, the best thing I can do is move my body, maybe in a gentle way with some stretching or a a light walk around the block, or maybe in a vigorous way where I do some jumping jacks or jump on my trampoline. For me, that took some practice. Because just as much I equally tried sitting in a bath, reading a book. For me, that agitated energy wants to come out. So my greatest choice in that moment is giving my body the opportunity to release it. Now, the caveat here is not taking that walk that I described. If you are going to explore maybe a walk the next time you're having a feeling, pay attention to what's happening in your mind. If you're on that walk, And if you're rehearsing or rehashing what caused the stress that sent you on that walk, chances are you're going to come back from that walk with the same amount of stress, if not more, than when you left. This is a great moment to use those tools that we talked about earlier, to use that focus on your breath, on your senses, or on your souls as they're walking around the block to be your point of focus, giving your body the actual opportunity then to release that energy so that when you come back, You're not in fight or flight anymore, geared up in that same emotion. You're actually in a calmer state. You might even be fully back into that peaceful state of rest and digest. While these two steps might seem very simple on the surface, they are a journey. They are a practice. So many of us weren't taught in childhood 
how to be in our bodies in a safe way, how to understand that emotions are sensations and how to then help our bodies release them. So many of us are still stuck with emotions, relying on old coping skills or not even connected to what's going on in our body at all. And so we begin the journey of reconnection back. Emotions, feelings, they live in our body. We complicate our life when we live in our minds around them and the stories and the interpretations that we pull from our past to continue to color our current experiences. This is why so many of us are stuck recycling the same feelings, whether it's sadness, whether it's stress, whether it's anger. So many of us end up living this groundhog's day where those feelings don't ever seem to end. To end a feeling, we have to feel it. We have to let it be as it is, and we can help our body along in terms of releasing it so that we can return to the safety within. This is our internal journey. Yes, the world happens around us, and it activates our feelings, our emotions, though we empower ourselves when we learn how to be connected to our feelings because they're incredibly important, and how to safely navigate them, how to process them, how to be with them and how to make choices that are in alignment with the future that we want to continue to create. Feelings are a big conversation, and I'm sure we'll revisit this topic in future episodes. I hope this one was helpful for an overview, because I know feelings, for most of us humans, are a complicated and even scary thing, even as adults. I welcome you all to begin your journey in exploring your own feelings and in learning to cultivate a safe relationship with your bodies so that you can be a safe person in the world around you.